for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And today I'm talking to Carla Miller, who has just found out her book, Closing the Influence Gap, has been shortlisted. Although by the time this comes out, this news will be well familiar to you, I'm sure, Carla. Um, But what I wanted to talk to her today is really understanding more about this book in terms of how we can apply the knowledge in here. So we're going to chat through. In terms of introducing Carla, she's a leadership coach and best-selling author. Um, Her book is a practical guide for women leaders who want to be heard. And I think one of the things that's really interesting, and I'll get you to introduce yourself, Carla, in a moment, is, you know, your own leadership experiences that got you to bring this book and become an expert um, in influence and impact. You've got your own podcast as well, which we'll reference in the show notes, um, Influence and Impact for Female Leaders Again. So I'm sure there's lots that we can take from this conversation. So Carla, um, thank you for joining me on the HR Uprising podcast. Would you like to give us a bit of positioning about why this is your area of interest? Absolutely. And thanks very much for having me, Lucinda. So I'm basically on a mission to empower women within the workplace. Uh, And that's for me around helping them to undo the damage that gender bias has done to their self-belief and their confidence, um, get their voices heard and then successfully navigate the workplace with influence and impact. And really the book and the work I do now, my in-house work, my um, open programs as well, is all about providing the support that just wasn't there when I needed it, when I was in my first management role, when I was in my first director role, my first chief exec role. I had a lot of responsibility. I had big budgets. I had big teams and outwardly seemed very successful and confident. But inwardly, there was a lot of self-doubt. Um, And that was really driving me to the point of burnout, actually, which I think we'll probably touch on later as well. But what I didn't realize then was the things that I was, was I, excuse me, (laughs) what I didn't realize then was the things that I was experiencing, I felt really alone in, but actually women everywhere are experiencing these things. When you speak up in a meeting and no one really pays attention, and then a man repeats your point and everyone thinks it's the best thing they've ever heard or when you're constantly interrupted and you just feel like people aren't valuing what you have to say, I think what we tend to do as women is then internalize that and think, well, I'm not enough. I just need to be more. I need more experience, more skills. And we don't put ourselves forward for opportunities. And actually what we're experiencing is much more down to gender bias and how we're all programmed to listen to men more than we are women than it is down to us as individuals. So, 
I was coaching a lot of people individually. I've been coaching for 14 years now. Uh, and I was coaching these women and thinking, I wish I could get you in a room together because I can tell you that you're not the only person with a really loud inner critic voice. But it's only when I put you in a room with other women who look like they've got it completely sorted and you realize that your messy insides are the same as their insides, despite how sorted they look on the outside. And so I started doing that, bringing people together into rooms and that really just snowballed into Influence and Impact, which is our women's leadership program, Be Bolder, our confidence program, and then the work we've been doing in-house as well. And I love it. It's amazing to be able to help people overcome some of the barriers that I faced and just help women to believe in themselves more again, because I think our experience of work takes it out of us, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think I, I can understand what many people identify. I'm sure lots of listeners are going to um, identify with those emotions that you've been through. And I think I saw you post on LinkedIn that kind of sense of being the only uh, in many ways in terms of voices that in, out there that sometimes can, can make you look at yourself um, as if you're, you know, you're, you're because you're in the minority that you're you're not right. You sort of doubt yourself. It's interesting, the whole thing, because I know there's lots of evidence about the fact that, for example, um, if a man and a woman applied for the same job, the woman would see all the things that they can't do, whereas the man would see all the things they can do. And, and therefore, the women more like self-select themselves out. And there's lots of evidence about that. And it's interesting about where it is in terms of chicken and egg. And you're suggesting really it's about the bias that's got us to think like that. And I guess that's what your book is almost about unpicking that, isn't it? Um, I like the way it's so, so that your book, it's in four stages. And I think anyone who looks at it, they'll, they'll um, be able to go through it, which seem really quite logical, almost um, almost a journey that you could go through, a sort of self-discovery journey that you could go through. And it gives you various tools to be able to overcome this sort of embedded uh, sense of bias that we might have internalized. Would you like to explain your, your sort of stages? Yes. So the first stage is about seeing yourself as a leader. So this is about tackling some of that self-doubt, those imposter feelings, um, which are totally human and it's totally fine to have them, but we don't want them taking over our brains um, and making our decisions for us. So we work on some of those beliefs we might have adopted about ourselves or the workplace or what it takes to succeed in the workplace um, or even what good leadership looks like because I think we often hold ourselves back there as well so it provides really practical coaching exercises that help you to see yourself differently it also looks at some of those other issues that come up a lot like worry and burnout and overwhelm and dealing with negative feedback um, so I basically took all the things that people were bringing to my programs and coaching sessions and I was like how can I help you with this put it all in a book um, so that's the first stage, because I think a lot of people come to me and they see themselves as a manager, but don't necessarily see themselves as a leader. And actually, they are fantastic leaders. It's just they've got this picture in their head of what leadership should look like. So that enables you to believe in yourself. The second section of the book is around others seeing you as a leader. And I think with women, there's a real challenge because society programs us to behave in a certain way and that way is not celebrated in the workplace and so for example we are trained as women to always put other people's needs before mm. our own um and in the workplace that can show up as not stepping into the authority that comes with our role so i look at how you can feel like a leader, how you can start to act like a leader, how you can be intentional about how others perceive you. So we work on your personal leadership brand and this idea that you don't need to be 
a crappy version of someone else. So we sit in those meetings sometimes, don't we? And we look at these people who are impressive and think, oh, I wish I was more like them. And we pick up the traits they have that we perhaps don't have. And then we feel like we're failing when actually no one needs you to be a version of those that's second rate. We want you to be the best version of you. That's what your organization needs. That's what your team needs. And that's what will enable you, enable people to really build a sense of connection and rapport and trust with you. Because when someone's being authentic and when they embrace who they are and own it, that gives everyone else permission to do the same and to really connect with you. They're sort of leading the way for others. But also, I think the one thing that resonates about what you're saying there is how um, I often see people who try to model traits that are not their natural traits. They end up almost exaggerating the least, you know, the less good ones almost in terms of that. So I've got to be more directive. So they become an absolute monster autocrat, um, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas actually just like tuning up your strengths and, and adjusting them and tweaking them to achieve an end is, is far more effective being that better version of you. Definitely. And then the third section of the book is on increasing your influence and your impact. So this was really driven by the fact that lots of women were being, they were incredibly capable at leading their teams and their teams completely respected them. They sort of worked through those first two areas of the book already, but getting people at a senior level to notice them, to value what they and their team brought to the organization was really challenging for them. And again, the bias really plays in here. We are trained by society to see men as more competent than women. Even when we've got the evidence right in front of us that women are performing better, we still think men have more potential as leaders. We listen to them more. So absolutely fascinating. But how do you then navigate that as a woman? Um, and if you try and act like a man, then you get negatively judged for that. So I had discovered some ways to learn how to influence as I became more senior um, and I simplified those, put those into the coaching and the book, and they work really effectively. So things like learning how to speak the language of senior stakeholders, things like influencing by really putting yourself in the other person's shoes rather than going in with, this is my agenda and people just need to listen to me. I need to bring them around to my point of view. So there's lots of really practical tips in there, including my six-step model for influencing. There's, uh, there are lots of practical tips and I think that's one of the things that I really like about this and, and we were a bit spoiled for choice weren't we in terms of what we wanted to focus in on on this on this episode clearly listeners can go and go to the book in order to get some of those but I thought um, there were a few areas in there that I thought that's uh, that's interesting and I feel like I've not necessarily covered this sort of thing on the podcast or I know this is something that people have difficulty with so um, we're going to just try and pinpoint a few well maybe one or two from each section aren't we and I think the first one, if we go in the same order, we talked about seeing yourself as a leader, that very starting point about your own personal identity. And of course, you've got things there like imposter complex and things. Um, now, I, I've done things on that. That is interesting, actually. And just as an aside, I did an episode on imposter complex and a few of these things to do with burnout that we'll talk about. And this links again into us being our own worst enemy. I do find that actually um, the downloads on the on the series, people tend to download more of the ones which are out dealing with underperformance or something you know outside of you. And when it's about how to look after your well-being or overcoming imposter complex, we have almost a, a people don't well people don't necessarily choose to to download it now. Whether that's um, whether we're not investing in ourselves. I, I do, it's always makes me feel quite interesting because I, I often wonder when I talk to people, I know their pain points, but then we don't necessarily invest 
in those areas is that an example of us putting ourselves second but that's an aside in that area we talk about um, you talk about overcoming self-doubt um, and there's things that you can do there and particularly dealing with the tough days I was I was spoiled between that and dealing with negative feedback which I think is also really relevant but I think because you've got a real personal experience with burnout it's probably quite interesting to link that into you know the bit you talk about there about tough days and burnout do you want to go into that area yes so I um I was in my first director role when I had burnout um and I had come into a team that had gone through a difficult time and were not actually convinced that I was the right person for the job. I only discovered this when I was in the job. So about two weeks in, they were like, oh yeah, you know, the staff interviewed you. Well, we didn't actually think that you were right. more experienced enough <laughs> to do this role. I was like, no, you tell me. boost for you. I know. And I would come in in the morning and say morning and they'd just look up at me um, and then look down again. Now, some of those people are now my best friends. <laughs> so it, it's all worked out well in the end. But yeah, I had to quickly learn how to bring them around. Um, and the organization was going through a tough time generally. And so two and a half years later, we had um, tripled our income. We had this fantastic team. But I had done that by expending all of my personal energy. And anyone that's managed a change situation, managed a team that um, had some performance or motivation issues, will know that feeling where you're, you're absorbing that negative energy a lot of the time. Um, and you're super positive and you're laying this vision of how things can be better and you're highly energetic and it just takes it out of you and I think for me this was really driven by some of the things that were going on in my head at the time in terms of being a perfectionist trying to prove to myself and everyone else that I was good enough that was sort of my default and then I'd obviously had that feedback (laughs) to fuel that default anyway um and just constantly doing rather than spending any time being and relaxing and recharging Uh, and I just got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore I didn't want the responsibility anymore I felt like I had done what I could do the team was in a steady place um, and I actually I left and I sold my house and I sold my job (laughs) I went traveling for a few years on and off and became a coach as well and then went into interim roles where I learned not to emotionally over invest which I think a lot of us do as women, we go in and we pour so much of ourselves into our work because we're so conscientious and we're so conscious of our team and their needs as well. And we don't recognize what it takes out of us. So I really enjoyed moving to interim roles where I could use my brain and use my energy, but I was doing it part time and I left it at the door and came home without all of those issues and the worry and the sleepless nights and the feeling of that responsibility on my shoulders. So you're kind of compartmentalising, I'm guessing, there. Now, later on in the book, you talk about um, setting and holding boundaries. Is that an example of what you're talking about there? Because I thought that's something that you don't have to be in an interim role um, or to have achieved burnout to do that. Could you explain a bit about how you how you would do that if someone was feeling that if someone's feeling listening to this thinking, uh, you know, my good, I'm taking work home, I'm not sleeping, that sort of thing. How could how they could use boundaries to help? Absolutely. And so now I've learned how to set boundaries. So now I work for myself. (laughs) It's a bit easier. Um, And I've actually since been in the permanent chief exec role and learned to set those boundaries as well. So I think the first thing is undoing that default of everybody else's needs coming first. Mm -hmm. So there was a great um, quote from Brené Brown, who basically said, um, 
I'm trying to think because I wrote it down the other day. Boundaries is about having the courage to love ourselves even when we risk disappointing others. Now, doesn't that go against everything we've been programmed? Yeah. Think as women. But that's what we need to do because when you are in, I mean, I work with leaders a lot. When you're in a senior role, there are a constant um, flow of demands coming your way. And our default is to say yes, not no. And actually, I don't think that's necessarily the same for men, but I imagine within the HR environment where you're, you're going into that environment to help people, aren't you? I imagine that, again, the default is to say yes rather than no. And so we say yes to everything. Um, we don't get any recognition or appreciation of the fact that we're saying yes to everything and it's building up. So I often start with getting people to recognize how are they spending their time? What's the most strategic way to spend your time? And how do you get comfortable saying no? And it doesn't just have to be no. Um, I think if you're in America, you can just say no, and that's absolutely fine. Here in the UK, it doesn't go down quite so well. Um, But it could be, no, that's not a priority right now. No, I don't have the resources. Uh, Yes, I could take that on, but what am I going to stop doing instead? So I think it's, it's changing that default from saying yes and then going, I'll deal with it afterwards and then struggling to deal with it and working long hours and making personal sacrifices and saying there is a set amount of resource that I have, that my team have. How can we use this most effectively? And therefore, how can I be a bit bolder about having some of those challenging conversations? And that's one of the things I train people on is, is I call them courageous conversations because it does, like you said, it takes courage to have those conversations because the idea of disappointing anyone else hits home quite hard for a lot of women I think yeah it's interesting I don't know whether it's about not being liked what what being more bothered about whether you're liked or not um or, or why is that or is it just um habit of just not wanting to disappoint I, I'm not sure but it does feel quite um uncomfortable for many of us doesn't it I mean, the thing that resonated for me when you were describing about the setting boundaries, and it's something that also you, you refer to Stephen Covey's work separately um, about circle of influence. But um, I was thinking about if you, you talked about what's the most strategically important thing to do with your time. So for me, what I'm hearing is that in order to set boundaries, I've got to know what my priorities are. And that could be my priorities. So yeah, I'm talking about the Stephen Covey prioritization matrix in terms of what's important, but not urgent and make sure I have some time for that. And that might be about Uh, you know exercise time away from work to recharge as well as it could be what are the most important things that I do and when you really know what your priorities are it is easier than to say no or or, I I, I'd like to do that but I can't do that for you know next three weeks because xyz is a higher priority or you know it would be it would compromise something else which is more important or more important and urgent so you need to do that thinking don't you first and know what's important to to be able to do those those absolutely and also think about prioritizing some things which perhaps you might not have previously so I see a lot of stressed out managers and leaders who are constantly available to their teams because there's this unspoken rule that that's what good management and leadership looks like it's a false rule as far as I'm concerned and what they're not doing is spending time on the things at their level that need to get done. And they're also not spending time building relationships with senior stakeholders within the organization, which not only, yes, does develop their career, but also develops a profile of their team will make it easier to get resources um, and to get approval for things that you need. So I also think it's about 
first of all, mapping, where am I spending my time and how much of it is on my priorities, like you said, and how much is it is on other people's priorities? And they just came and asked very insistently for them or they bombard me with emails and I drop my priorities to deal with the things in the emails and then think, well, how do I want to be spending my time? Like you said, that might be taking some time to go for a walk at lunchtime or do a yoga class or something that means you perform better in the afternoon and you have that sense of spaciousness or it might be okay am I putting some time into my own development which just like you said people will always prioritize their team's development Mm -hmm. over their own Um, and again that's all part of this myth of I must think of my team first yes you absolutely have to think of your team as a leader but you also get to think of yourself and remember you're modeling that for other people coming up behind you as well so it's all very well telling your team to delegate but if you're not actually delegating and working late into the night to get things done they're not going to listen to what you say they're going to watch what you do and copy that that the other thing that's quite interesting that resonated there in terms of um when you're saying making yourself constantly available to your team which is all not you know great being a nice manager a nice manager but is that being an effective manager because um, if they're constantly available and you're being interrupted all the time and that's disrupting your flow, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're giving them guidance in the right way. And, and I just think about some of the most effective senior leaders that I've worked with. They they were really highly organised and they and they would do if you just took people management. They would have regular one to ones, but that's where because they were regular and they did happen, then people would bring their information to that meeting that was their time rather than have the stuff that actually expands around the edges and takes more time up so again I suppose that's a way of boundaries by being organized and having that structure which that's when we have our time together whereas it means that the other things I can do building relationships with senior stakeholders getting my job done you can do it at different times as well so that organization is quite key I call it spoon feeding your employees or your team so that's what we often do they'll come to us And they'll ask us questions and you're thinking, I answered this three weeks ago, or that's in that file over there, but you still answer them and they learn, well, it's much quicker to just go to Lucinda and ask the question than it is to think it through for myself. So I always encourage people when that's the situation to just train people differently. So someone comes to you with a question, the first thing you say is, well, what have you thought of so far? When they get used to asking that question, they will think, oh, she's going to ask me this. What have I thought of? Oh, I know the answer. I'll just go and get on with it. Um, And that fits in with the boundaries idea as well. We train people how to treat us. So if someone is consistently crossing over a boundary, and you will know that because you probably feel angry or resentful when they do, if you have never explained to them that that is a boundary, and by boundary, I basically mean this is an acceptable or unacceptable way to treat me, or this is within my role and this isn't within my role. I think Um, Yeah. So if you've never told them and they're doing it all the time, you're getting annoyed and you're either just sitting there silently seething and resenting them or you end up snapping at them, which isn't the most professional way to do deal with things. Is that actually on them or is it on you because you haven't communicated those boundaries? So I encourage people to clearly communicate boundaries. It's hard to do that proactively. You do have to kind of do it responsively. When someone does something, then you can communicate to them that actually in future you'd like it done differently. And this is why. And we have a really simple model for that. Um, But then you then need to hold those boundaries as well. And that's those courageous conversations. I think holding boundaries, setting expectations. Sometimes as women, we will do the first bit And then we lose our nerve and we don't do the second bit, which is holding people 
accountable um, and asking them to do what they've committed to do, for example. Or allowing them to breach the boundary, I guess. I know I've said that many times and then they, and then you let then you still help them when they come in at a different time or out of hours or something. So I think there's there's lots, there's a huge amount there that people can take out of the first couple of chapters and so many practical models in there. And obviously coach, you do little coaching models and things in there. But the area I was wanted to switch to, because I think it is a bit more gristly, if you like, a bit harder, and it's it's maybe advanced skills. Um, it was about the whole sort of managing upwards and influencing senior stakeholders because I think quite a lot of really competent people still struggle with that um there's something which isn't directly linked to that but you also talk about radical responsibility which I think is about getting stuff done and taking ownership of things can we move on and talk a little bit about those I'm not sure which order you'd like to go at those let's start with a radical responsibility so that's one of the mindset traits that I encourage leaders to adopt. So I looked at the women I've worked with. Um, I was also leading recruitment company for a while and recruiting senior leaders and looked at well, what are, who are the candidates that are coming in and I think I could place them anywhere and I know they'll do well. And what is it that they are demonstrating that others perhaps aren't? And I also thought about, well, what are the moments that really made a difference in my career? And this idea of radical responsibility came to mind basically so the idea is that once you are when you're junior in an organization and things aren't going well you know you sit and complain that's what happens but as you become more senior with that comes the ability to create change to make things better so I don't believe that at that point you get to sit there and complain anymore I think that you have to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem So, for example, when I was leading a team at Samaritans, the charity, um, we had a lot of issues in our department with another department. And we would sit there and complain about it. And one day I was like, I'm just bored of the complaining. Why don't I gather this information and go and talk to the finance department and see what challenges they're having and see what we can do to improve things. And we ended up with new systems. And I started doing that in different places. And sometimes it was me doing the work. And sometimes it was me just asking the question that no one else is really prepared to ask. And what happened is I then got recognized as someone who made things happen. And they created a role for me at the next level. Um, and that has consistently happened to me. And I've never done it because, hey, I want to be promoted. Um, I've always just done it because it's like, I can't sit here with all these things that are making life harder for my team and I to do our jobs well without at least trying to do something positive about it. And, and I totally get it. It's kind of, it's taking responsibility. It's um, my, my kids say, I, I say, don't take a victim mentality, but you know, when you've been in the environments that you're describing, people sitting there moaning about the problem, um, we're basically positioning ourselves in point of victim. So what you're saying is take responsibility to go and try and make something happen. If I don't make something happen, at least you try. But, you know, it's amazing, isn't it? Because as we sit in there creating these artificial barriers about us and the next department, it may be no one realises or, you know, it could be just very easy. They're not necessarily trying to make our lives difficult, but it just takes somebody to go and try and collab- collaborate um, and, and, and check, make a difference. And I so, think I like that. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Sorry, I also I was I was saying collaborate there because I've just done a webinar earlier on change. I was thinking of different conversation, but that's one of the key things that I would always say. Say we have to be correct. We have to collaborate with others and take responsibility. Be courageous to go and take responsibility um, to make things happen. Exactly as you've described, if you're making change. 
And that segues nicely into the, the idea of influencing and managing upwards, which I actually, I think many of our challenges come from managing sideways. I think it's often our peers in other departments that aren't taking our department or our initiatives as seriously as they could be. And I know this does happen to HR for many reasons, including the fact that it is quite a female dominated specialism and therefore it suffers from some of the issues that we talked about earlier in terms of gender bias but I always encourage people to be strategic in their relationship building I'm not talking about being Machiavellian Um, I'm talking about looking and saying right what other departments or what other individuals does my success and my team's success depend on where are the interdependencies and what are my relationships like with those people because what's probably happened is there are some places where you're quite entrenched in terms of what you're doing right and what they're doing wrong and they're sat there thinking the same thing and tensions arise on the same topics again and again and and everyone gets bored of it and the person above you gets bored of it because they're getting pulled into it all the time so I encourage you to map out who are the people where I have interdependencies and what can I do to improve those relationships so when I was an interim I would go in as an interim director of fundraising and I knew that there was always tension with the finance director and whoever was responsible for services and programs because that had been the same in every charity I had ever worked for. So the first thing I would do is take them both out to coffee separately and spend a third of the time getting to know them as a person, a third of the time kind of getting their take on the organization and how to get things done. And then a third of the time saying, well, what's it like working with my team? What are the challenges? What's going well? How would you like things to go? And then I go back to my team, listen to the things they were saying and set up a meeting that then looked at, right, how do we work together better? And for me, that's step one of my influencing model, which is build your relationship. Because if someone likes you, even if there's tension, they're more likely to give you the benefit of the doubt, aren't they? And you don't have to be their best friend, but knowing their partner's name or what their hobby is at the weekend or what TV program it is they like to talk about, just small little things that show that you see them as a person and at some level you care about them as a person beyond the value that they can offer you during your working day. Does that make sense? It's absolutely. It's it's um again it's it's almost counterintuitive because the temptation is with somebody where there's a conflict is to or you think there's competition or whatever it is, is almost to stay away. And what you're doing is you're almost building up those barriers. But if you if you disarm, um, you know, disarm people with 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 love, we always say it's love, love your enemies type thing, going the, the difficult relationships, going actually get to know them as a person, then it makes it a lot harder for the overt conflict to happen and, and you can start to build bridges even if they're begrudging bridges but it means you can work together professionally and get things done can't you and because ultimately you presumably especially in your position when you're working in a charity you've all got the same aim when you're two you know in the same organization you've all got you're all that it's supposed to be there for the same purpose so breaking down those barriers can make a massive difference yes and then it that gives you some of the information you need for the, the next step of influencing which is really understand that person and what's going on for them because If you can't understand them, then you can't speak their language, you can't speak to their objections and their pain points and the opportunities that might be there for them. We're never going to persuade someone by just putting in front of them, this is the best case for us and we think you should agree with it. If you're able to recognize what's going on for them, it makes it so much easier. So the the six-step model I have, and you can use it managing upwards or sideways, is build your relationship understand that person and then understand what they want from this situation 
and why they want it, why it's important to them. And then think through, what do I want from this situation? So yes, I'd love them to say yes to my whole proposal, but are there some things which are absolute deal breakers and are there some things which are flexible? Um, now you can call it compromise or negotiation, but I think there is no point in losing the whole war because you didn't want to lose one particular battle. And then what I like to do is to start the conversation by acknowledging their perspective rather than just going in and presenting. I like to recognize what's going on for them, what might be important for them, what's important for me, and then create um, a suggestion or proposed solution as a starting point for discussion. So again, making it a discussion rather than this, than this kind of binary yes, no decision, and then taking the conversation from there basically and doing a lot of listening. So I just think that's a different way of looking at influencing. And when I started doing that, people would, they found it so refreshing that someone was coming in, a fundraising director was coming in and not talking about fundraising needs first, but instead really hearing them and recognizing what was going on for them. And anyone that's been in sales knows that if you want to sell to someone, you have to understand that person to work out how you can fit what you've got to their situation. And it, it's exactly like that. It's basically applying those techniques within the workplace and doing it with that foundation of a genuine relationship. Um, and it does, it absolutely works upwards with your line manager as well. Yeah. I've tried it a few times. <laughs> yeah, and your point is actually, it's, it is genuine. That's one of the, it's, you're not about faking stuff here, but by understanding that person's viewpoint, I mean, you think about um, pulling, pull, they talk about push and pull influence, don't you? But, it's interesting because actually it may be as an area where women are particularly strong at because women are good at listening um, in terms of that. But the key is actually understanding, listening, what that person's priorities are, what's important to them, and then making sure that your priorities and needs are also met. Finding a way in which, you know, the majority of, of, of you, you can collaborate. Um, it's, it's not quite a compromise. You know, it's a collaboration, a higher level than a compromise that you can meet as many of both of your requirements as possible. And you have you can only do that if you've got that relationship and if that person trusts you enough to share what's important to them um, and what they can't let go of and, and be honest with you. We said we, we've we've hit our half hour point. We say, oh, we weren't sure where we could go. There's there's so many useful tools in here that I think really that the key is to point people at your book, um, which we'll put links to in in the podcast because um, it's it's full of really relevant stuff. Uh, wherever people are right from the start of building confidence and you know through to where you want to go into promotion and all sorts of practical tips there if someone's preparing for a promotion so definitely encourage people to um to take a look at that and of course you you run courses don't you, you run in-house courses for people do you want to share how people get hold of you if they wanted to work with you and find out a bit more about you yes so um linkedin is a great place to come and connect with me i'm on linkedin actively every day yesterday was international women's day and i think i must have had hundreds and hundreds of notifications so i'm a bit tired today but LinkedIn's a great place to follow me because i talk about all of this stuff on there um, also my website carlamillatraining.com and we offer a number of different things. So we work at a women's leadership level, whether that's a whole women's leadership program using my influence and impact framework, which is essentially what's in the book. Um, or we also do masterclasses on particular issues like tackling imposter feelings, speaking up, stepping into the authority that comes with your role, that side of things, managing stakeholders. And then beyond that, we also work with early and mid-career women, um, but we're also now being asked to provide gender neutral versions on confidence and assertiveness. So that's our Be Bolder program. We run it as an open program, but we're increasingly running it in-house to 
empower, particularly women, empower them early in their career to believe in themselves and do some of that gender bias early so that then hopefully they will be applying for roles and doing so confidently to try and fix that first broken rung of management. And then the final piece is we work on allyship. So helping men and managers and leaders to undo some of that bias that's going on uh, every day in the workplace, basically. So that's primarily how we work with people. And then the podcast is also a great place to go to get this sort of content. Um, someone said to me, you, you've put it all in your book. You've put a lot in your podcast. Why would people work with you? But I just want to get it out there, helping as many people as possible. Um, and so I really hope that the book is doing that right now for people. Well, I'm sure it is. And um, yeah, wish you lots of success with it. So thank you, Carla. It's, it's been lovely having you on the HR Uprising podcast. Thanks for having me. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast. <laughs>